break them down in twos. <laughs> nah, we do. Baby, read. Richard, would you rather get dunked on trying to block it or trying to take a chart? Trying to block it, 100%. I'm going out like a man. I'm going out. I'm going out like a man. Let me try. I got dunked on by Amari Stoudemire. That's my guy. But it was like, look. I didn't... Hey, everyone. Welcome to an edition of the Ball Street Journal podcast. This season's coming up very quickly. December 22nd is the first day of the season. It just feels like the last one ended, and we're already entering a new one. The offseason's just about wrapped up. All the big signings are done. The draft is over. Uh, you know, this offseason, it wasn't exciting as the last one in in the sense that the there wasn't as many big-name players moving. But what made it exciting was that the draft happened, and then two days later, free agency began. And then there's definitely some surprise signings in there. And, you know, a lot of the contenders got better. Um, some didn't. But, you know, that's why me and Nishan are here today, just talk about all the big moves from this offseason. So, Nishan... Let's like combine the draft and free agency since they happen like so quickly, back to back at one after another. Which team would you say, and not even which team had the best off season, but in your opinion, which team's off season did you like the most? I think there's a lot of teams that moved a lot of pieces in the off season. Um, I would say the two teams that probably had the most happen for them would be the Hawks and the Suns. I think both of them had really great moves. Um, But I think ultimately the the thing that was most important this offseason was was what was going to happen with Giannis. And, you know, the Bucks did a good job at least trying their best to sell Giannis onto staying. I think they maybe gave up a little bit too much for Drew Holiday, but... I would say that felt like the most impactful portion of the offseason. It's going to be an interesting thing to look at over the next couple of years, how that plays out, only because they were trying to get Bogdan Bogdanovich, which obviously fell through for various number of reasons. But um, they, they made moves that are putting them in this whole feeling of win now situation. And I still don't know after seeing all these other teams if it was enough. So... I would say that the team that I think had the best offseason was either the Hawks or the Suns, but I think the team that had the most impactful offseason was probably the Bucks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you basically look at their team now, they have gone from Bledsoe to Holiday in that lineup, which is definitely an upgrade. But by doing that, they had to give up George Hills, an important member of their bench. And that Bogdanovich <laughs> trade was definitely a failure. I mean or the sign and trade that they thought they had um you know he would have been that perfect guy because then you have a lineup of holiday bogdanovich middleton Giannis, brooke uh you don't have much depth but that's starting five is just about as good as anyone else is and just think about it so now they uh it was already leaked so everyone thought this trade was happening and now the guys that they were supposed to give up i think it was divincenzo um Ilyasova and um dj wilson so those three players now they're back on their original team i think Ilyasova was released anyways but divincenzo and dj wilson they're back on the bucks but they know like they were supposed to get traded and they just had a f- that trade was a flop um but i read this interesting article today actually about that trade and what happened apparently the 
it was announced on a Monday night. Um, the next day at a t- the on Tuesday at a border board of governors meeting, apparently the Bucks owner was like bragging to like everyone, and it was just like openly openly tampering, which the league always knows everyone tampers, but the fact that it's a signing was announced four days before free agency because that's what it is he's a restricted free agent so the fact that it was like oh he's gonna sign with the bucks four days before it was just like uh, a slap in the face to the nba and then apparently one team actually filed a formal complaint against the bucks for what they did and so at that point you know the league was going to start an investigation and that's pretty much how it all fell through. Apparently, there was interest with Bogdanovich to play with the Bucks, but the fact that this was announced so early, someone leaked it, and then a, a team filed a complaint. Likely a team who wants Giannis, so that they're hoping this trade didn't go through. And you know that was definitely a flaw for the Bucks. But um, I definitely I I agree. I think the Suns Hawks definitely had great off seasons. Another team's off season that I really liked was the Sixers. Um, you know, Daryl Morey comes in there. And he's, you think they got this logjam, but he immediately comes in, converts Josh Richardson into Seth Curry. I think that helps both teams, but I think it helps the Sixers a little bit more just because, you know, what Simmons and Embiid need are shooters. So he converts that into a shooter and somehow manages to get rid of that Horford contract. <laughs> and yes, he had to give up a 2025 first round pick. But let's be honest, if they keep Simmons and Embiid, uh, they're both in their mid-20s. That, that pick should not be a great pick. And that's all it cost them to get rid of Horford. I mean, that's great because they had two bad contracts in Horford and Tobias. Now they only have one with Tobias. And, you know, he's salvageable. Like, he's younger than Horford. You can still get something out of him. But I thought Daryl Morey coming in there and making all these moves was great right away. Um, But, you know, on the contrary end, you know, is there a team's offseason that you were, like, confounded by? Or you're like, what the hell are they doing? (laughs) I mean, everyone knows that the answer to that is Detroit. <laughs> they're trying to do uh, they're 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 doing the the 2019 Knicks offseason move by getting every big man on on in free agency essentially. And sadly enough, I think the most talented player on their team, Christian Wood, is the one that they let walk. So it doesn't really make sense what they were what they were doing. I mean, I th- I thought it was pretty shrewd of them during the draft to get so many first round draft picks. I mean, I think this draft was overall a weaker draft and everyone knew that, but we also knew that there were going to be some late, you know, late lottery to, uh, you know, middle to late first round picks that could end up being the steal of the lottery. So I kind of liked what they did in just trying to increase their odds of hitting on one of those guys by giving, giving up probably not too much to get them. I think I, I I don't know much about those prospects, um, but as I was watching the draft, I mean everyone was raving about Sadiq Bay. Uh, so I mean, good for them, good for them for doing that in the draft. But then, as soon as free agency started, it seemed like they were back to being Detroit and doing all these moves that didn't quite make sense on their team that's already log jam at the power forward position. I wonder if there was. Um, I, I thought that maybe that they were doing that because. There was some information about maybe they had they had a way to move move Blake, but I don't see that happening. And and in that circumstance, I don't really understand what they're doing with all these big guys. Yeah, same. I mean, I think people joke that was it like two different front offices running the draft and running the the free agency part of it, just because they got like Killian Hayes, which some people think he'd be really good. Like we all know, Kevin O'Connor like has him as his number one prospect and. 
you never know. I mean, they need and they needed a guard, and they got Killian Hayes, which was a great pick. But then, like, yeah, they, at first I saw they saw signed Mason Plumley to a three-year, twenty-five million dollar deal, which is automatically a bad deal. You knew that. And then on top of that, they signed Jaleel Okafor. <laughs> like, it makes no sense. And then they signed Tony Bradley, like another center. And it's just like, what are they doing? Um, but I think they ended up trading Tony Bradley for Zaire Smith. So they got something out of it. But still, yeah, why are they signing all these big men? And like you said, they signed Mason Plumley for $8 million and these, some other free agents. But then they let Christian Wood go for a three-year, $41 million deal. So now he wasn't even that expensive. I mean... 13 I would rather pay 13 million for Christian Wood than the contract that they gave Mason Plumley. Um but I mean I guess Detroit's in one of those spots where you just don't know what they're doing. Maybe this is their way of tanking and, and saying that we're guaranteeing losses to get out get to that uh number 1 pick. Um but man, yeah, Detroit makes no sense. The uh, the other team that I was kind of like confused by a little bit was uh New Orleans. Um I think their trade for Drew Holiday was a great trade in the sense that they somehow got the Bucks to give them three first-round picks. I thought the Bucks that was a bad trade for the Bucks. I mean, Drew Holiday should not have been that expensive, and they gave up all these unprotected first-round picks like in like seven years from now. Who knows what that's what the situation is going to be like? But I re- I didn't really get the Stephen Adams trade. Um, I understand getting him for one year, but then on top of that, they extended him for two years, thirty-five million dollars. Which we're seeing that centers should not be getting paid that much just because they're what you want a center to do in today's day and age is very just like grab rebounds, run to the rim, like shot blocking. That should not cost that much. And they just paid a center 17 and a half million average when they kind of have Zion who's there and he if at some point should be like the small ball center. So I was kind of confused. I mean, I guess they. Ultimately, they signed Brandon Ingram to that max extension, but I don't know. What did you think of that Steven Adams trade? I wonder if it's a, uh, a a culture play there, like less so much of what he can bring on the court and more so what he can bring off the court. Like, you know, he's a good team chemistry guy. He's going to box out. He's going to show the guys what's the right way to play. And I think they're right now they're they're playing. Uh, it's one of those things that now now that we're seeing all these uh, other you know, big name young guys signing their extensions. I think essentially what they have is they have a couple of years here where they can be a little bit blasé with their salary cap because because Zion is not worth as much as he should be worth because he's on his rookie contract. So I think maybe that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to set a good culture there. They're trying to get a guy who can protect the young guys. You know, but Zion is a big guy like in terms of his size, but he's short and maybe they want him to not spend so much energy grabbing rebounds and that's why they got someone like steven adams and also just like another guy on the court to protect guys like brandon ingram who's who's still quite filling out his frame i don't think he's quite there yet um i think in terms of uh you know thinking about the drew holiday thing i think that the i think it was a good move for the bucks because kind of like in the last offseason the whole point of this trade to get Drew holiday for the bucks was less so about getting Drew Holiday itself. It was giving up those draft picks to to make Giannis stay. And ultimately that I think that if if uh if that team is able to be successful in gel and you know people aren't asking for to get out of their deals years in advance. I mean in five, seven years, you know, 
Drew Holiday's not that old. Giannis is not that old. That team could still be really good, and those picks could be not that worthwhile. And so I think in that sense, it was worth it. Um, for a small market team, they have to kind of do whatever that they have to do to try to keep their keep their superstar there. And a lot of times that means leveraging their future. And that's what they did ultimately. I think New Orleans probably knows that the West is really competitive and they're still maturing as a team. They got really close to making the playoffs last year, but I wonder if this is a play for the future rather than the now. Yeah, I think if you... Yeah, I didn't think about it that way with the whole Steven Adams, the culture thing, and he's can be a protector for Zion. And I think that all makes sense. I just didn't think he was worth $17.5 million per year. I think that was the part where, because no, you know no one else, when he hits the open market next year, no one else is paying him $17.5 a year. Um, but like you said, Zion is on his rookie deal, so they have no worries with the cap situation for now. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what they do with Lonzo Ball there, because he's up for an extension. And I wonder if he's going to get that extension that he wants or he, you see someone they just let kind of how they did it with <laughs> with uh, with Ingram and just like let him play out this year. If he earns a contract, they'll get it, give it to him as he enter, enters restricted free agency and we'll see how they do. The The team that I wanted to kind of bring about every everyone's like hipster pick for winner of the offseason was the Blazers. Um, so they, they made a bunch of moves. So they turned Trevor Ariza into Covington. They signed Melo back. They signed uh, Rodney Hood. And I'm, I think I'm missing some. Oh, they, yeah, yeah, they got can't play Cantor. <laughs> um, so Covington, Melo, Rodney Hood. They got Cantor. They're supposed to get Zach Collins back. Um, Nurkic should be healthy. And, you know, they let go of Whiteside. But I think that that's not a loss. They're going to really regret at this point. Um, and so they got a pretty, pretty, pretty good team there. Uh, with Damon CJ and they have a little bit more depth now assuming they stay healthy and I think that's the tough part but uh, you know were you someone like who also was like kind of hopping on the Blazers train like everyone thinks they're guaranteed top four team now what do you think I think that I am impressed with what they did given the given the cap situation that they were in so I really thought they would be able to make no moves in which case this team was doomed to be sort of this this mediocre you know they weren't going to be back to their glory days of making the Western Conference Finals. Is in short, is what I was thought. What what my thought process was. I thought they'd just run it back, or eventually uh, Dame and CJ would have to break up. So I'm impressed with what they did. I I'm uh, I think the the Rodney Hood and the Covington signings were important, just because from a defensive perspective, this team is always. I think offensively they're going to be there night in and night out. CJ or Dame can carry a team offensively. Even Melo can get you those late game shots. He probably can't carry a team at this point. I still don't think they have enough from a defensive perspective to keep them in contention with some of these Western Conference, you know, powerhouses. I probably wouldn't wouldn't put them in in a guaranteed top four situation, particularly because of how um, vulnerable their 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 team is from a defensive perspective. I think. Getting a guy like Covington is helpful, but it's really hard when you have two small for their size players. And I think they're trying to get a line of defense behind them that that is good enough. And I don't know if Cantor and Melo really make sense for that sort of line of defense. I think they're good offensive players, but how, how what who's going to be able to guard? How are they going to be able to guard any team if their lineup at some point is Dame? CJ, Melo, um, 
Cantor and you know whoever else like who are they gonna guard it doesn't make sense so but I think they did well for what what they were able to do they really I think because of their cap situation they were really stuck and they, they made some moves and I hope and I think those moves would be are gonna be helpful I just wouldn't say that they're guaranteed to be the top anything of the Western Conference which is really competitive yeah, I, I think that you hit it. Um, with Dame and CJ getting paid, like, Dame's on the Supermax, CJ's, like, on a max. They kind of pretty much did as much as they could. And they, they their strategy clearly, clearly seems to be we're going to outscore teams and not worry about defense. Um, and, I mean, it could work in the regular season for sure. Just because, especially this year, teams are going to be on short, playing on short rest back-to-backs three nights and four games there's going to be all those a lot and i think that that strategy could work this year they just try to outscore teams and hope for the best um their offensive lineups are going to be really great um just like all the players that you just mentioned um so that that'll be like an interesting team to watch uh i guess you know one of the interesting trends right we saw so far is all these the young guys who are up for their maxes um all got paid i mean donovan mitchell tatum fox and adebayo all got the full max um i think they all four were deserving um I, oh and ingram yeah ingram got a max too all all five were deserving i mean they're like all like great players they are you know i think the only one that i was kind of curious about but i think it's kind of like jamal murray last year where which was fox where you kind of give him the max that, you know he's unfortunately stuck on this team with Sacramento who's not even sniffed the playoffs and you but you know you hope that he is gonna in the next five years which is what this contract length is that he's gonna be that guy who kind of like Murray takes the next step and eventually takes Sacramento into the playoffs um but you know one interesting note was that Mitchell and Tatum got a fifth year player option on their deals whereas the other three didn't and i think that's really interesting because <laughs> you see this all the time right like no one pays attention to these details when they sign them but when they get that player option they're most likely going to opt out at that fifth year and you know that's always like yeah because they get to sign their next contract the next contract's going to be more money but it also puts pressure on the teams right it's like uh they don't have five years to make this work they got to do it by four years and let's be honest, it, the the noise starts from like year two of this, uh, like a four year contract. By year two, everyone's talking about what the player is going to do. Um, but out out of these five, were you? Did you think all all of them should have gotten their max uh, the max uh, deal that they did? So I think uh, in order of you know guys that have been there that have proven that they can carry teams. I mean, I think you can't really say anything about Mitchell and Tatum. They've done it for a couple of years now. Adebayo, you throw into that picture just because of what he did in this offseason this year. Um, Ingram had an all-star caliber season this year. I mean, I think he was great. I would say Ingram and Fox are the two guys where it's like they haven't quite proven that they are the the one or 1A or 1B guy on a on a team that can go deep into the championship. But I think that the challenge is they are both in small markets. And so if the teams want to hold on to them, I think they had no choice. Um, I just want to I want to go back a little bit thinking about these max contracts. I think all these guys deserved it. I think all these guys are the future of the NBA. I think all these guys are going to at, at least be a positive impact on their team. It'll be interesting to see over the next five years which of them are really worth their full contract. But I know we were, you know, 
the the one um, the one thing I'm really curious about is is this is taking the supermax for, from a player's perspective the worst thing you can do for your own franchise? I, I know people will need to, you know, they they want to they want to get paid for what they're worth, but we've seen it time and time again that it really puts you in a cap. It puts your whole team in a cap situation that's so untenable that they even if they want, it's so challenging to put a team that's competitive around you. I mean, um, we're, we've seen it with Portland. We've seen it with the Thunder at the time and now the Rockets. Uh, we've obviously seen it with the Wizards. Um, and so I just want to get your get your thought process on like, I know the whole idea of the Supermax was to have something that a small market can t- keep a, cl- a player for. And, you know, those are, those are small market teams that, well, maybe not the Wizards, but the other ones are small market teams that have been able to keep their superstar, but was it actually to their detriment? Because it just takes up so much of the cap space that they really can't put a, a team around there that's going to be able to be any resemblance of a super uh, of a championship team. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all comes down to the qualifiers for who gets a supermax, and that I think that's where you run into trouble, um, just because. Yeah, it's all NBA, but the problem is an all NBA third team player can still qualify for a supermax, and that's where the team gets into trouble because now that player, because he qualifies it, he expects it, and then the team kind of has to give it to him just because, especially like you said, if it's a small market team, they want to keep their player and they offer the supermax as a way to show loyalty to the player and to keep the player so he's not looking elsewhere, and I, I think that's where you kind of run into trouble. Uh, I think the exception is what happened with Kemba last year, right? I mean, where he qualified, they didn't offer it to him. They didn't even offer him the max, I think. So he, maybe that was an exception because he just felt disrespected that they offered him way below the, even not even the super max, just a, a max extension. Um, but I think that's, they may have to change the qualifiers to maybe not all NBA 13 players, maybe all just all NBA first and second team players. Um, because if you really think about it, a t- there's only like about maybe five guys in the league, right, who are who have shown to be the best player on a championship team, like LeBron, KD, Kawhi, Steph, maybe just four, right? I guess LeBron, KD, Kawhi, Steph right now, who's shown that they can be the best players on a championship team. And they're, they're the ones who like should get these Supermax extensions. But unfortunately, like the qualifications for them are expanded, and that's why like other people can get it. I think it's also interesting because those are the guys that aren't taking those offers because every year they sort of bet on themselves. I mean, I think they've in recent years, you know, after Katie's injuries, he's taken a longer contract. But in general, those are the guys that take these like two, three year contracts. We're seeing it with Kawhi right now, just sort of betting on himself saying, hey, like, why would I lock into the Supermax where I don't have that flexibility? So it's kind of interesting because the Supermax ends up being these guys that, like you said, are maybe third team all NBA or snuck into a third team all NBA during their contract season. And then they end up kind of screwing over their team because their teams can't can't compete. So it's interesting because the top echelon of players don't the supermax doesn't help keep them in their market. The t- the the players that it does help are these players maybe that shouldn't be deserving it. And I wonder if in the next CBA they should just sort of get rid of it. Um, the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting is I I really expected with with the way that uh, we expect the cap to go because of the losses the NBA has been taking from last season and most likely this season with with the fact that there won't be as many fans in, in the seats and they're losing a lot of their concession money and their ticket price money. I really thought that that would affect the contracts this offseason. 
but it really didn't which is kind of interesting because uh the way that the collective bargaining agreement works this is just money coming out of the owner's pockets like this isn't i don't know I, it doesn't quite make sense to me because you would expect that the the salary cap should have gone down which means that all of these players should have effectively gotten smaller contracts because then now they're just getting a bigger percentage of the cap so i don't know have you heard anything about that yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. They're basically, like you said, artificially keeping the cap up because the cap is based on what how much revenue is brought in and obviously revenue is down because no fans. And so they're just artificially keeping the cap up so that the teams don't suffer and they have to get luxury tax. But yeah, like you said, the fact that the cap is so artificially being elevated means that the owners are paying the total payroll, but it's out of their pockets. And you know, it's definitely a hit that a lot of these owners are taking. Um, but, you know, I think ultimately they're hoping that it's a show of good faith towards the players. And so that way, when the next round of CBA negotiations come, the owners can always say, hey, you know, we we basically took a hit and we continue to pay you, pay you guys. Um, obviously, there's the escrows and everything that's going to happen. And there's going to be a larger percentage this year. But, yeah, I think the cap being artificially kept up is just an a show of good faith by the owners um but yeah you're right i think we can't we can't uh you know we can't go through this pod without talking about what the hell were the hornets doing when <laughs> when that when they gave gordon Hay- hayward that contract um i think it's just a bad bad contract i mean the guy's 30 the past three years he missed the whole season and it's unfortunate right that injury just is one of the most freak injuries you'll ever see and it just you know derailed his whole boston career and right in the middle of his prime like this last three years where his age 27 28 29 seasons that's your prime and it just got derailed for him unfortunately and you know there's no one there out there i guess you know everyone's saying the problem is you're in charlotte and if you want a guy like gordon hayward to come to charlotte you got to give him that you got to overpay but man i mean they just got out of nicholas batum's like contract he's going to be an expiring contract this year and it looked like their cap sheets were finally clear. They brought in LaMelo Ball. They have Rozier and Devontae Graham, PJ Washington. They have some good young Miles Bridges. It seemed like they were heading in the right direction. And just as Batum's contract's about to be up, now they got four years of Gordon Hayward at 120. And then on top of that, apparently they have to wave and stretch Batum. So his 27 million becomes 9 million over three years. So that's just, uh, man, I, I, I don't know what Michael Jordan and Mitch Kupchak were doing. I think that was uh, that was the most albatross contract that we're going to be talking about for years. I mean, you think about the fact that he got injured. Then he had the, you know, then he had the injury in the in, in the in the playoffs last year. And it just goes to show, first off, can this guy stay healthy? That's the most important thing. You don't want a four years of an injury-riddled guy. And the second question is, can he? He hasn't. He's he showed some flashes, but he hasn't shown that he can be that guy that he was before he came to Boston. And so, if he cannot be that, that player, that they essentially just bet that his whole Boston stint was was meaningless, and that he's this 26, 25 year old guy again. And he's not. He's thirty, probably. You know his body is like 35 on the wrong side of 30 and you're right um they should have bet on their young guys and 
I just feel like now if I was a young guy on that team, as I get towards my next contract, I start thinking kind of similarly what Porzingis thought, which is, do I want to, do I even want to stay for my second contract here past my rookie contract? Because clearly these guys um, can't figure out the identity of the team. They, you know, they, I think it's a problem that as a Knicks fan, we, I see all the time where, you know, you give it a couple years where you tank and then you become impatient. And I think that's kind of what's happening with Michael Jordan. It's, he, he last year didn't overpay Kemba, which I thought was a smart move. You know, I love Kemba, but he's not he's probably not a super max guy. And they didn't offer him the max sheet and because they'd seen what he can do as the lead guy on that team. They didn't feel like they had the money at the time because of the Batum contract to bring somebody else with uh, to, to Charlotte to help him. And then now they go on and do this like it just doesn't make sense. If I were them, I would have rather paid the same exact contract last year to Kemba because I think Kemba gets them further than than I think than I think Hayward can that's just personally yeah given it I mean no offense to him as a player he's a good player but he just can't stay healthy and every time he makes a good run he gets injured uh, and it, it just doesn't fit Charlotte's timeline given the age of their other players and everything should be about LaMelo right now and just seeing how who he is as a player trying to develop him and you know trying to see make, like basically build your franchise around him if you drafted him number three you think he could be your best player like a, your star player and they that's what they should be doing but yeah i mean <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to me the only one thing i could think about is that they didn't want Lamelo to get the bad habits of being the guy who had the who was the who had the ball all the time made all the decisions so this might be somebody who's there for the next couple of years to take some pressure off of him and also demand the ball a little bit so LaMelo can grow. But you don't need to pay a guy this much for that. I mean, they could have definitely found somebody else that's like, you know, a third-tier superstar who can who can come come in and do the same thing for LaMelo. Because I saw it last year with the Knicks. You know, R.J. Barrett definitely had a little bit too much on his shoulder. The, the, the You know, he was taking bad shots. He was making bad decisions. He was learning bad in-game, in-game skills, which... Watching, you know, Lamelo has a lot of highlight videos. Watching Lamelo's highlight videos, you, you can tell that he ha- he probably has a propensity for that. He probably has a propensity for trying to be the guy so badly that he makes a lot of bad basketball decisions on the court. And having a guy like Hayward, maybe their thought was this guy can keep him, you know, keep him straight and keep him on the narrow for the next couple of years. But the question is, can Hayward even stay on the court? Yeah. Um yeah i mean i have <laughs> it's just like we're just gonna have to wait and watch but you're right i think when you said this is gonna be one of those contracts that we look at as one of the worst contracts in the league i think so it's, it's gonna be on the likes of russell westbrook john wall just these guys who are injury prone and just getting paid like way too much money and it's just gonna it's gonna honestly hamstring the the hornets but you know at the other end you know even if hornets have cap space who's come who's taking their money like not many players uh, but yeah I mean is there any before we sign off on this pod like any other teams you wanted to touch upon that you know we didn't get to on this pod I think I know you've been itching for a little while uh, I know you had a long podcast last time but just talking a little bit about the the Clippers and the Lakers um, just just you know thinking about the thought process of what offseason moves were meaningful I mean I think that um I think that the Lakers made a lot of moves that I'm, I'm glad the Lakers made a lot of moves that moved around a lot of their players and they didn't stay stagnant. I think they did end up winning the championship last year, but I think um, 
second year of the Clippers, they should be a little bit, they would have been a little bit stronger. The Warriors would have been there, you know, I'll, I'll bet maybe a little bit less likely now with Clay's uh, injury, which is really unfortunate. Uh, Portland is going to hopefully have a healthy season. Denver is a year, bit, year more mature. So I think if the Lakers had stayed pat, it probably would have meant everybody else got better and they sort of stayed the same, which could have been in their detriment. Um, so I'm really glad they did what they did. I think the the moves that they did, the one that I felt that was most impactful was getting a guy like Marcus Gasol to come out there and, and play for them. I think it definitely slows the team down a little bit from the up and down um, just because he's older. and But just knowing his intelligence for the game, he's kind of like the center version of Rondo is how I think about him. He makes the right decisions. He's in the right place at the right time. He probably isn't uh, as good as he used to be. But I think a guy like Ronda was critical for them winning the championship last year. And I think that's what Marcus Gasol is going to be for them this year. Um, on the other end, for the Clippers, I think the Clippers are just trying to refine their identity. I think we talked at the end of last season how when you have two guys that explanted onto the team or implanted onto the team after the team already had an identity, there was a crisis all of last year. Like, whose team is this? Kawhi and PGs or the guys that were already there. I think they started doing some of the dismantling of the old old um, r- regime by getting rid, you know, by letting Trez walk. Um, Pat Beverly is still there, and I think that'll still cause some conflict. But um, you know, I, I think that them essentially choosing Marcus Morris over Trez just goes to show that they're they're ready for this new regime and for for PG to be there long term. This is their commitment to PG long term, and I, I think I like the move that that they did which was essentially replace Trez with Ibaka I think Ibaka gives them more of a shooting presence but also more of a defensive presence and most importantly he gives them an on-court identity I feel like he talks a little bit more than PG and and Kawhi and he brings in that veteran leadership it's kind of funny talking about a team like the Clippers who had all these aspirations and I'm saying like a guy like Ibaka has to come in and be the veteran presence. But that's what happens when you have quiet superstars. Um, when you don't have a guy that's commanding um, commanding the team on the floor itself. It's not, nothing about the locker room. Nothing about how good the player is. But Kawhi is just not that guy who's out there commanding the attention of his team. Just because he's a guy who likes to stay out of the limelight as much as he can. And go in and do what he has to do. I think Ibaka will hopefully be that guy which... If they hadn't made that move, I, I really thought the Clippers would have had a really bad offseason. But I think for me that both of those moves of Marcus Gasol to Lakers and Ibaka to the Clippers makes them better teams. And I think that further distinguishes them from some of the other uh, some of the other Western Conference teams. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously it's hard for me to be unbiased about the Lakers and the last pod, me and Rohit had a 40 to 50 minute episode of just, you know, taking our victory lap and um taking a shit on the clippers but <laughs> i think the the lakers you know i think i i i obviously really liked all their moves the one move that i was like kind of iffy about was actually the trez move the more and more i thought about it um just because i don't think he could play with ad and the reason we last year we were so good was because dwight and javel were these like shot blockers and rim runners and trez is not like as tall as them and he's not a shot blocker he's not a rim runner and I think that's the presence we're going to miss. And they added Marcus Gasol, and he's great. 
He's a great defender, but he's obviously up there in age, not as athletic as Dwight and JaVale. And I think that's kind of the presence we're going to miss this year. But then I thought about it, and I was like, the reason they probably did this is because, let's be honest, like LeBron's going to miss a bunch of games this year uh, just because of the short off season. He's age 36. You're 18 now. And I think what they're going to plan to do is likely have Schroeder and Harrell just kind of run like the Williams-Harrell pick and roll. But with Schroeder now and like when the game's LeBron's out, they can run that as their primary offensive uh, set. Um, AD, I'm sure, is going to have to take some games off too just because of his injury history and once again a short and off season. I think that's what they did. Uh, but, you know, I, I would have preferred if they, instead of for that mid-level that they gave Harrell, if they could have gotten Tristan Thompson or Ibaka because that's who they went for. And I think they would have actually been better fits because Ibaka, when he plays with AD, Ibaka can shoot threes, but he can he's also a better shot blocker. But... Um, you know, there's always the fact that Harold's also a clutch client, so I'm sure that played a role too. I mean, let's be honest, like Lakers got LeBron, AD, KCP, Harold, um, all clutch clients, even Taylor Horton Tucker, they're our rookies, <laughs> clutch clients. So, you know, I'm sure that played a role at some point. Um, as far as the Clippers, yeah, you're right. I think they are trying to get, I've heard that, you know, or I think Mark Stein reported that, um, they're also looking to move Lou Williams. So they're definitely looking to get rid of the old guard. I think one of the rumored trades was like Williams and Harold to try to get like Terry Rozier. Because now that the Hornets at LaMelo and Devontae Graham, that Rozier might be expendable. So they're definitely trying to move around like their old guard. They've already brought in Luke Kennard, um, got rid of Landry Shamit, who was part of that, you know, that year, the team they from the year before that made that great run. Um, so you could definitely tell they're trying to build their team around uh, who Kawhi and PG like and trying to get rid of some of the older players. It, it'll be interesting to see, but you're right. Yeah, some of these, the Warriors clay injury definitely hurts. The Nuggets losing Jeremy Grant, that that hurts too. That uh, The Nuggets, I thought he was one of their like important pieces last year. And they basically replaced him with Jamichael Green, who I think is a lesser version of Jeremy Grant. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with the Lakers moves and I think it'll be great just to have Schroeder and Harrell like in, uh, coming off the bench and especially the games that bronze out um, so can't wait for the season um, but yeah it, the next time we, we pod likely it'll be like games that would have started in like three weeks we're gonna have like uh, preseason games I think it's gonna be preseason and then December 22nd is the start of the regular season so it's all coming up super quick um, and it's gonna be a fun fun regular season we'll be we'll still kind of be a bummer that there'll be no fans but I'm kind of excited to see what some of these like arenas like how they kind of they're support they have been encouraged to like kind of come up with different scenarios to kind of make it a better experience a TV viewing experience without fans and I'm kind of excited to see what they do. Uh, but can't wait till the season starts. But signing off on this pod till next time.